So here we are once again, Morning Black, and uh, I am going to, we're going to talk about this morning uh, dealing with how African Americans deal with the um, political uh, environment that we see today. And uh, also, uh, we're going to talk a little about what what we determine as class war, class war uh, in the African American community. I'm going to uh, share a couple of things out of uh, Haki Matabuti's Black Men Obsolete, Single, and Dangerous, the African American Family in Transition. And, uh, you know, he he's sharing some stuff here. Um, trying to help us understand what's going on with class conflict. He basically says on page 213, life is definitely rough when ignorant people talk about how ignorant other people are. In measuring the noise in our community, we must be able to distinguish between the false and the real. Too often we accept men in $2,000 tailored suits with 10-cent tailored minds because our definitions of good and valuable are distorted. Our values often are misplaced and focused on how one dresses, the car one drives, the size and location of one's house or where one vacations rather than on those things that really matter. We all have our horror stories. Few of our people have been exempted from the brutality of America. Um, Three million plus homeless people, 60 million functional illiterates, historically high unemployment, a deadening drug problem, an environment that's losing its ability to withstand pollution. Men and women make their own history, but they do it within the cultural climate of their time. And so he's talking about these realities that we face. I remember um, the first time I got robbed. Uh, I remember the first time I got robbed, first time that I was uh, stuck up, you know, stuck up. You know, I was about eight years old, and I, I was basically, my bike was taken from me by the class bully. You know, the class bully asked me, could he ride my bike? I said, all right. I'll, I'll let you do it because he was about, he was in sixth grade, maybe fifth grade, and he was about like 200 pounds and about 5'10". So I let him have my bike, and he took it. And when he came back, my bike wasn't my bike anymore. He had tore it up. I remember how I felt about that because I, you know, had a great possession in that bike. Then later on, I remember the first time that I was stuck up with a with a weapon. Basically, I was in uh, Southtown Animal Hospital in Chicago, and the uh, old boy came in and uh, he stuck up the doctor, and we were in the back because I was working. And he came in, he pulled out a 357 Magnum and said, stick up. It's the biggest gun I ever seen in my life. And so we raised our hands, the little dogs was running around. All they were barking, yoop, yoop, yoop. <laughs> and he was, he, he was, he was strong arming everybody, took everybody's money. 
So, you know, I always have wondered why there has been this serious division uh, in the African-American community as it relates to those that have and those that don't. And I've always recognized that there was uh, individuals in the community that didn't care nothing about Cadillacs and nice clothes and and uh, Dobbs hats and, you know, Stacey Adams shoes and all that stuff that I knew another group of folks in the community had. They were about the business of trying to survive. And it was that way when I was small. And it's still that way today. There's still a significant division between those in the inner cities and those in the rural areas that have and don't have. And there's there's a group there's a group of people who basically are dealing with the reality of um, class war, class war. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a little about what's going on, what's going on in relationship to class war in the African-American community in particular, in the Hispanic-American community, Latin-American community, and where that comes from. So when, when I talk about class war, I'm talking about those individuals who have things, phones, houses, cars, clothes, um, they have fluidity because of what they have. They can go places. They can go to the museum. They can go cultural. They can, you know, they can go see Hamilton. You know, they can go see uh, Avengers Endgame. They can, you know, they can do all that stuff. And then there's another group of folk who day by day, they are thinking about, praying about, trying to figure out uh, how to negotiate getting what you got. So that's what I mean about class wars. We're going to talk about that a little today. So now uh, I've been joined in the studio by Zebediah Hall. And Zebediah, you remember the first time you got stuck up? Have Uh, you ever been stuck up? Yeah, I've been stuck up before. I remember the first time I've been stuck up. You remember what happened? Uh, I definitely remember what happened. <laughs> they ain't slap you around, did they? No, they ain't slap me around <laughs> too much. But uh, I, I definitely remember the times, man. Uh, and, and good to see you, Doc. It's going to be an interesting conversation to actually talk about class war and what that means actually in the African-American community. What does that mean in the community of people of color and to actually dissect class war and where we at as a people as it relates to that so that's right that's right you so. know see 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 I, I i think about that because you know you can go see black panther mm-hmm. and all that you know but you know that's what we're talking about mm. i mean you know if you go underneath that film mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. right killmonger was what product of another reality correct been the king right mm-hmm. and he was serious about his mm-hmm. right and even when you went over to Wakanda, there was differences within Wakanda within itself. Okay, so so let's talk about class war today. Class war in the African American community. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people dying every day about this. Oh yeah, people. I mean, so this is a serious subject for us. Mm-hmm. Not so serious for everybody else. You know, it happens every day. You know, people see it. It's on Channel Five News and stuff like that, but something that we deal with every day yeah right right so what what was what was what, 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 what was your experience brother 
Uh, my experience was I, I can remember personally sometimes I remember my sister uh, in 1995 she got a blazer when her hair first came out and it was like a green color blazer and, and uh, she was at the stoplight and, and they pulled the guns on and told her to get out the blazer uh, and they took it from her at the stoplight oh yeah they ever recovered um, yeah we definitely found out who had it and who took it and was able to get it back uh, but that's also being connected in the way that our family is connected too. So uh, I don't want to put that to the side either and want to be real about that kind of stuff too. But um, I, I think when we talk about class war as a whole, I think what we're really talking about is um, forgetting our responsibility. Um, I think that being caught up in the system that we caught up in, Specifically talking about African-American people of color, we lose sight of our responsibility. And so I'm going to try to parse this out a little bit, uh, but I, I need to listen to an audience to listen well enough to understand how I'm dissecting and unpacking this. But you can't, you can't always make that happen, but good. you try, try your best. Yeah, I'm going to try my best. Um, before segregation and all those things happened, and we had no choice but to depend on people that look like us, how we went about showing love and interacting with one another was totally different than it is now. And I'm not saying that I want to be isolated and segregated from my white brothers and sisters, but we need to go back to a point where we're restoring love and justice within the people that look like us before we can start to restore justice to others. And and, and what I also mean by that is um, within our households, we got to start loving one another in such a way um, that we are able to bring the bear and speak truth to power about what's going on. I like to say it in the sense of this. If I'm in the household with people that I love and I know that their shirt is wrinkled and I let them go outside with a wrinkled shirt, I'm not telling them how they're presenting to the public. And so we're not starting at home with the way that we even interact with our loved ones. And so if I don't... Are you talking about family? Talking about family. And so if I don't start at home with my family, treating them a certain way, when I go outside of my house, how I treat others can't be better than how I treat my family. And if it's better than how I treat my family, you get to a situation where you start to find times where you might be closer to friends and outsiders than you are your family. Even in the sense of building that coalition with the outsiders, if you're not showing love at home, the way that y'all group together as outsiders is still going to be oppressive or segregated towards other people. And so we don't get to a point where we start to go back to a premise where we're treating people like we have no choice but to survive based off the people that we look like within our community before segregation and all that kind of stuff happened. You know, I'm not saying I want to desegregate our world right now, but what I'm saying is segregation played a part in putting us into a system where we came to the table where we wasn't independent. And so when we come to the table with our hand out, when we see certain blacks start to matriculate and have some so, some sort of success, if we become crabs in a barrel and we want to pull them down. And so the scarcity environment that has been put on us, if you take, for example, if you take a look at when they put us into projects and things like that. That's a controlled environment. There's only so many resources within that environment. There's only so many people are that are going to make it outside of that environment. And so if if we're not taking time to unpack that kind of stuff, it's going to be hard to unpack the class war of where we're at, even if we then go back and unpack it to slavery. Even within slavery, it was a class war amongst us when it said house house Negro versus a field Negro. So, you're, so saying, you're saying class... 
uh, class conflict was oh, yeah. something that was always produced in American culture, American society among black people. And and, and not only was it always in still, American society, it was put and infiltrated in the black community in such a way that helps keep us down because then it keeps us against one another versus working together. Well, I mean, okay, so let's 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 unpack this a little. Okay, so um, if we would take that theory mm-hmm. and try to apply it to what we see today, mm-hmm. you know, the onus is on the deconstruction of the black family. Okay, mm-hmm. now was that something that just happened? Or was that something that was done in a systemic way uh, I, I, to African Americans? Because think, if 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 you take dad out the home, you take the father out the home. I, oh, yeah. I just heard a, a documentary where a young black mm. guy basically was just saying, he said, if you look at you know a lot of this class conflict that we're looking at today, it started in the '70s when they start you know when you know poor people were basically separated family wise. A very similar thing that happened um, prior to Reconstruction, you know, where uh, mothers were left on their own, uh, dads were taken out of the home. Um, the kind of information that uh, families needed in, in order to survive was not there. Mm-hmm. And so the disintegration of the black family was something that was not just a random thing that, you know, just encroached upon us. There was some work going on to make make sure that our families disintegrated. Oh, oh, oh yeah. And, and, and to the point of you know, even if you think bef- uh, with welfare and things like that, before welfare, uh, African American had the highest marriage rate there was, and right. so and I, we married during slavery. It, I mean, it, you know, yeah. we were marrying, we were marrying during Reconstruction. We were marrying and and building strong families when we didn't have no money. Okay, it, so it, why all of a sudden we have this dearth in terms of family structure? I, I mean, if, if you if you think about the structure of a family. And if you think about throughout times, just historically, women was not given certain access that men were given. Even when you break down the fact that there are men of color that had access that women of color did not have. And so if I take the man of color that normally has the resources out of the household, now I'm having those households being ran without resources. And so when you're talking about the reconstruction, when you're talking about coming up through all those different times, what you're doing is displacing the man out of the house where most of the resources, if you think of from a historical context coming up now, was most of the time given to the man to provide to the community. And if that man is not at home to provide those resources, now you have what we have now. It's a little different now because women are able to work and have resources in such a way they wasn't able to now. And so what they were trying to do was destroy destroy the black family because the family together is so strong. Well, okay, okay. So let's let's say what people are trying to do mm-hmm. is deconstruct the black family. Oh, yeah. That's what we see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, a specific example that comes to mind to me is Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Malcolm X's dad was a farmer, mm-hmm. but he's also a Garveyite, mm-hmm. right? They kill Mm. Malcolm's father. Oh, yeah. They put his mom, I think he had seven or eight brothers. Mm -hmm. They put his mom 
an insane asylum. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then distributed Malcolm's family into foster care. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the reason why I'm kind of talking about this is because the foster care system is still nefarious at what is, what's going on in terms of how children are being displaced. And, 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 and you know, so, you know, what Malcolm said in his own autobiography was, you know, he always had a strong family. It was only when his dad was murdered and his mom was put in the insane asylum for 27 years that him and his brothers went they separate and sisters went they separate ways. And that's when he came up on the nightmare of them, you know, mm-hmm. a, a life of them in American culture, American society. So we have examples over examples in terms of how this has happened. But that's not the only thing that's going on. No, it's because it's not monolithic. It's, it's more than that, but that's a piece of it. Right. Uh, some of it is, uh, you know, and even to that point of uh, Malcolm X and the story that you just told, sometimes right. that's why, you know, not to put a man on a pedestal, but sometimes that's why I put my father on a pedestal because my father be 80 years old. When his first wife died, he had four kids. They was going to separate his kids. And he said, no, all my kids going to come live with me. Because sometimes if they didn't go to the foster care, what they would do with those black families was they would then disperse the kids amongst the women in the family. So they would have went to his sisters or his aunties and things like that. But he decided to keep his own kids in his own household. Mm-hmm. And so that that's for me sometimes when you think about, you know, the way that I am and how do I go things and approach. My dad went against the grain. My father went against the grain on a lot of things. Uh, but getting back to the point of, of, of what you're saying, you know, sometimes... Um, we got to take some responsibility sometimes, and I must put some of this onus on me, as the ones that become educated per se and get degrees and do things or go off to have jobs or go off to be what sometimes people can equate to success. Uh, we allow people sometimes to use us in ways that put us against our community, and sometimes we come back speaking with a rhetoric that is talking derogatory and downward towards our community. And so sometimes... It's on us to do certain things that won't allow people to do certain things. Like, I'll give you a prime example. Everybody knows that my fiance is a white woman and we're going to get married in May. And so the thing about that is if you took talk about Dr. Umar, he talks so much and so strongly against African-American men being with white women. And if they ask me a question about Dr. Umar, some of the stuff and the work that he does, I salute to the T. And I'm able to say that in the same breath of saying I disagree with him about that aspect of it. But the work that he's trying to do when he's talking about being a pan-African only helps the work that I want to do as wanting to change the world because I need to uplift the black community and we need to uplift ourselves too. And so part of the problem is we allow the system to parse us against and play us against one another and we have to stop allowing that to happen. Well, but, 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 but you got to agree that there is something different going on for underrepresented communities of color when it comes to this poverty thing and this economic conflict thing it, than white folks, right? It, it, it Not only is it different, it's it, it's more structured and controlled, and that's why you have the projects and all those type of things happening. And so what I'm the saying— the projects wasn't originally seen to be a bad place, by the way. I mean, you know, when it was first was built, people saw it and said, wow, this is housing, this is a good thing. For, but for then people it, didn't, that didn't then, know any better. Well, but then it—, it it was in a systemized way 
ghettoized. It was made, in other words, people designated that as the black zone. That's where we're going to put the black people. And then there's other things that went on economically mm-hmm. that locked people in into that particular, supposed to be temporary housing until people, you know, parceled out and found their own properties and stuff and things like that. And, and, and so what that did was it gave you the ability to control your oppression towards blacks by controlling their environment. Controlling and, the space. It's controlling the space. And so what you did was you locked them into an area and you said, this is the black zone. And so what they're going to do is then do everything to keep black people in that black zone. So it's one thing when you have poverty dispersed across your community. It's one thing when you have poverty sectioned off in your community because it's easier than to then not give that community resources and things like that. And so then when you're talking about temporary housing, if you did start to do better for yourself and you wanted to move out of that community because the community might have been going down, you wanted afforded loans and things even if you qualify for them. And then you got the things like black tax and all those kind of things. Uh, and so talking to some of that you got to unpack that and so uh, my point of saying all that is there's a time when we had great leaders in Harlem all on the same block not talking to each other those are the kind of things that we need to step away from we need to get away from and stop letting people depict us amongst one another is what I'm trying to get to and highlight all right so so let me let me change the the direction a little bit. Uh, Haki also says, um, and he quotes uh, uh, Hoyt Fuller here, which was a uh, black activist, you know, a famous black activist. Um, And he says, um, Hoyt dared to see the potential in us and based upon much study, enormous travel and his own varied life experience, he seldom fell prey to false expectations. His truths were continuous and earth shaking. One of the things Hoyt said was the American educational system, as it is, is not designed for the benefit of black people who are oppressed by that system. It is not designed to facilitate the regeneration of a people it has calculatedly debased. Um, it was designed to facilitate the regeneration of a people. It has calculated the base. It, it is not designed to liberate the spirit of the sons and daughters of Africa, nor to enhance the, that spirit, nor to thrill at its soaring. The American educational system is not designed to encourage the destruction of the American political and economic system. No matter how cruel and debilitating embattled minorities may find that system, the American educational system as it is is designed to benefit and to maintain the status and well-being of the white middle class majority. It is designed to train the personnel and to maintain the ideology which will ensure the perpetuation and endurance of the American political and economic system, which is now and always has been hostile to the ultimate aims of the black minority, which it serves. So, I mean, you know, and I think about the uh, graduates of the Chicago public school system. Mm -hmm. This guy's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we, the majority of our folks don't benefit Mm -hmm. from a in a large part from the education that they're receiving. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting on uh, the Educational Advisory Committee of the Urban League. Full, a full 49% of the kids, you know, was having problem graduating. The 51% that, you know, did do well were not marketable. Mm-hmm. And they were cool with that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And they were an advocacy organization. Oh, yeah. Right. 
Looked like you too, didn't it? Looked like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these weren't white folks, no. No, these black folks that look like you advocating for black folks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only difference was is that most of those folks that were on that committee were also what they would call the middle class community. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think about that? Why, why do you think that they're systematically over the years, and I know you grew up on the West Side, but I know you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Why do we keep producing folks mm-hmm. that can't do well out of these educational systems? Uh, I think the reason we keep producing um, people in the education system that keep the status quo where it's at is because the educational system is not teaching them about their oppression and so education isn't happening and so um we got to start changing our language a little bit and stop saying education and maybe saying teaching and so what they're doing is they're teaching okay so why 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 you say that they're they're teaching people to assimilate into the status quo they're teaching people training training people teaching people i got you i got you to then go into the system that's already at play they're not teaching young black people to be entrepreneurs they're not teaching young black people to own property they're not teaching those things and so uh when you're talking about the educational system what they're doing is teaching a black person how to read and write so they can go work for the companies that's already at play. They're teaching black people how to, when you think about some of the HBCUs when they originally started, they were teaching them how to mine the fields and do the land grant work because we weren't teaching you how to be political and how to be savvy and how to run businesses at first. Mm -hmm. That's not where we started. And Mm -hmm. so when you're talking about the educational system, it's teaching them how to assimilate to the prisons because we're already training you how to follow in line. We're already training you how to sit a certain way and when the bell ring you move and that's kind of what they do in the prison system and so we're not teaching you how to critically think when we're teaching you how to read we're not teaching you about uh, liberation and how you can take this information that I'm teaching you because I'm teaching you how to read about your oppression so you can learn about it so then education can start to happen so I can transform who you are as an individual education which is different from teaching it transform who you are as an individual and so if I am teaching you something then I'm not transforming you I'm just showing you how to do something if I am educating you with something I'm giving you the tools to critically think and break down your problems that you are having because I can't break those problems down for you and so what we're doing is not teaching people how to critically think and break down their problems we're teaching people how to assimilate and follow so we're not um, and I just saw uh, from Kinetics Live I just saw something talking about in celebration of the counter narrative we're not teaching a counter narrative we're teaching a narrative that basically supports this economic conflict and and not not only are we teaching that um the, the 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 language out there in the media sometimes, which is tough. Some of the things that you see on movies is tough. Uh, what you see in readings, what you see in language, and so there's not enough produced about us in such a way that speaks truth to power about who we really are for America. And so, and we've been struggling with that uh, for a very long time. Very long and so time. Uh, even me, right? When I keep putting the onus on me, I got a duty because I'm getting this PhD. I'm going to be out here writing. I got a duty to put a counter narrative out there, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and so it's 
going to take for some of us to take some of the ownership in some of the things that we're doing. I think we need people, especially people in our generation. I think we need to step up in a different kind of way. When you think about what just happened to Nipsey Hussle, right? He's 33 years old. He, he, he a millionaire in his own community, putting stores and things in his own community. And somebody kills him. Somebody kills him. Somebody kills him that looks like him, right? Nobody really want to have these conversations. You know why that's able to happen to Nipsey Hussle? Because we don't have real conversations about somebody on the inside that that's, leaked that's information. That's what we're talking about. Right, right. But, but we don't have conversations about people on the inside that leaked information that allowed Malcolm X to get touched. We don't talk about people on the inside that leaked information that allowed Martin Luther King to get touched, right? And so if we don't start to have those conversations and unpack who we are, then we're going to continue to struggle. Going back to what I said at home, because if I care about my person that I'm sleeping next to and that's in my own household and the way that I treat them and show love, that's going to showcase how I show love to people on the outside. So what we're talking about is a, a mindset, a, a way of thinking about who's valuable, you know, who we uh, trust, uh, loyalty, you mm -hmm. know, how we do develop and evolve relationship. I want to push it, I want to shift it to uh, uh, another uh, connected kind of conversation because you said put the, put the two things together, so I'm going to try to put them together. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we're talking about how does this connect to the to the historic resistance that we see within the African American community? Some, not mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen some notable changes during the Obama era. You know, when, mm -hmm. when blacks came out in droves, mm -hmm. and um, and hopefully we can get to that that particular topic that you like talking about so mm -hmm. much in terms of the process itself. Mm -hmm. But w why the, so much distrust in the political system, and how is that connected to a uh, class war and economic? conflict in communities of color uh, you think well the, the first thing I can say um, when people always want to get on the surface are you a Democrat or are you a Republican right 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 uh, it, it depends on what what, what decade we in because uh, Democrats for one didn't always take up for black folks That's it was true. the Republicans and, and, and so it's kind of reversed now and so uh, the Republican or the Democratic Party I don't know how much really cares about black folks as a whole I don't know who how much either one care about the LGBT community I don't care how many of I don't care I don't know which party really cares about uh, immigration and what's going on with our Latinx folks I just don't think they care. My first problem with that is to have the electoral college. When you talk about what it does to the black people, to the black body, the electoral college within itself is the derogatory and the direct hit at, at us as a people. And telling you that your voice don't matter because we're going to put you in category to minimize who you are as an individual. If you think about what we're going through right now and and, 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 and people being decisive and they talk about the, the American people and they start to talk about that uh, if you hear Donald Trump and Pence say the American people are saying this the American people aren't saying that you didn't win the popular vote and so when we're talking about a democracy we're never operating as a democracy because the people who voted in for the most popular votes never win in the United States of America so stop saying it's a democracy the electoral <laughs> college itself is a direct hit for people of color and underrepresented groups you're a little, you're a little passionate about that, huh, brother? I, I'm very passionate about that because <laughs> when, when we, we, 
even when we get these people on platforms, and I'm not talking about that, and I'm not denigrating nobody because that's not what I'm about. But Mayor Pete, and I'm not saluting him because I don't know who he is, is the only person that came out and talked about destroying the Electoral College. If you want to change the laws, if you want to change the way that people of color are treated, if you want to change the way the LGBT community is treated, if you want to change the way people with disabilities is treated, if you want to change the way people are oppressed, get rid of the Electoral College, then the popular vote will then be able to change things. And then you can truly vote in who you want. You can truly vote by laws because the people you want representing you can truly and actually represent you. Okay, but I want to move before that. I mean, I, I, I got you. I got you. Okay. However, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of people mm-hmm. who don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Correct. Who have made a decision mm-hmm. that this is not a process mm-hmm. that functions for them. Not a process at all. Okay. And they are electing, mm-hmm. not to use a pun, mm-hmm. they're, they're deciding to, to, to basically <laughs> deal with it a different way. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, my question is, mm-hmm. if we if we talking about ending this economic conflict in communities of color, mm-hmm. can you do it without having some aspect of political process and political education, at least locally? Uh, or are you saying that uh, what we got to do is... Uh, evolve a value system that we insert into these families that don't is not there and I, I'm, I'm suspected that I'll, I'll, I'll do a Byron I'm not sure that's a, a you know a idea that necessarily is true Mm. You know, I think that there's some other factors that are at play in terms of economic conflict. I'm not, I, I would say that might be one factor, but that's not the only factor. I think education is huge. I think family value system is huge. Mm-hmm. But then there is a powerlessness and voice, voicelessness mm. that's basically a part of this formula that's causing and structuring this this class conflict. Mm-hmm. So my question is, do you think the political process is the answer or not? Uh, I, uh, I think the political process is part of the answer. Uh, but let's take politics off the table and let's just get in the community. Okay. Let's just place ourselves in East Dallas, Texas. Let's just place ourselves in Baltimore. Let's place ourselves on the west side of Chicago. At the Golden Ram Let, in Chicago. You, you get what I'm saying? Let, let, mm-hmm. Let's get there. Let's be on Laramie and Division. Let's be on at La Folly Park. Let's be on Augusta and Keela. Let's let's be there. Okay. All right. Um, in those spaces, right? Mm-hmm. I think where I will push back a little bit on you and Byron is I think education and a family structure will solve all those problems, regardless of what happens on the political level. Okay. And, 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 and if you educate and you take care of family structure, it will force the political to come to the table at a different level. Okay, so, and, 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 and so, so they're what, more primary. It, yeah, and so what I mean by that is if I go to get a job for a company, they're going to pay me based off my value added to that company, correct? Correct. How do we educate our people based off the money that we spend as black people, the value added on spending money at black-owned businesses, spending money 
on things within our community. How the, the value added to that piece for liberation is dealing with your own people because we spend so much money. If we understand the value add based off education of family structure of people that look like us will then give us liberation to say now we're independent to the point, kind of like the bus boycott on a very simplistic level. Economically, it made them so upside down that it forced them to deal with us in a certain way. So if we don't see the value added in the people that actually look like us, meaning that I need to take care of my neighbor because taking care of my neighbor when she's an older woman and can't come out the house and I mow her lawn, the value added to me mowing her lawn means our property value stays at a certain level and does not get de- does not uh, decrease. Okay. And so the value added in the education around around those kind of things I think help help us in a way that it hasn't been there in a long time okay I, okay I, I'll, I'll, I'll you know I'll nibble at that but I mean you have to teach that's the value added you have to educate people and, and that's why I said the education of that now I think even if you go back once again to Nipsey Hussle right the, the value add that Nipsey Hussle brought to the black community from a systematic standpoint, from a political standpoint, if I'm not black, I got to do something to get rid of Nipsey Hussle because he's educating and, and and bringing up the level of who those people are. Okay, so so, but you well know because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this is something that you spend a lot of time studying and and you know, voicing your particular perspective about. Whenever those opportunities come in which we start educating people in ways that are counter narrative Mm -hmm. there's always some resistance to that Mm -hmm. so I mean you know um, and I'm you know I, I guess what I'm a little anxious about is this notion of well it's an organic process and it's going to evolve over time and I might not see it my children might not see it but you know eventually it's going to come to pass you know all that's well and good but at the end of the day ain't no plan you know so my question is is okay so when you so we can shout to the hilltops value added but if I don't know what you mean Mm -hmm. that means absolutely nothing to me okay so so my question is where do we begin mm -hmm. to talk about exposing local community folk Mm -hmm. To the terms and the definitions that we use when we start talking about turning this economic conflict within our communities mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. okay? Because what's what's in the community right now mm-hmm. is guns. Mm-hmm. What's in the, in the community right now mm-hmm. is drugs. Mm-hmm. What's in the community right now is folks who are exploiting. Mm-hmm. African-American people. Mm-hmm. Some of them are African-American, but not all. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, them little, them little old ladies on 41st Street mm-hmm. that own those old homes where individuals are coming in and, you know, house invading and, and you know, uh, charging them extraordinary rates, you know, for repair and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that happens to older people. Mm-hmm. That's going on all within our inner cities, mm-hmm. as well as the predatory attitudes. Mm-hmm. Okay? Is I'm not saying dominant, but they are significantly uh, influence on the quality of life. 
life. No, they dominant. You think they dominant? Oh, they dominant. I mean, I, I think some of the behaviors and mannerisms of the very hegemonic system that we're talking about right now are being perpetrated. Are through being the perpetrated. I, I mean, even 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 when we get to the nitty gritty of it, when you keep talking about the community, and, and sometimes if the vice lords, if the gangster disciples, if the black peace stones didn't let drugs be infiltrated in their community. What we have right now today doesn't happen, right? I'm not saying systematically they ain't put the drugs there, but there's a part of us that got to stand up at some point and say, we took those drugs. At some point, we got to stand up and say, man, I'm selling these these drugs on my grandma block. Matter of fact, I'm selling these drugs to my homie, grandma. Right. Right? There's a part in all of this that we play that we can change, and that's that mindset because there's no Again, value. Again, we're going back to what you're talking yeah. about in terms of family. I treat the person correct in, 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 in my family differently. I mean, you know, if that person is intimately a part of my life, mm-hmm. then there's certain things that I, I would draw the line in. I and, won't have the killmonger attitude. And, to, and, to and what I mean by that, even if sometimes when you look at me and keeping it, keeping it all the way a thousand, as we like to say, you mm-hmm. know, uh, there are certain things that I did growing up that I should shouldn't have done right and I was caught in situations that I should not have been caught in right Mm -hmm. it was somebody came and saw who I was and went and told my father and my father drove up on me okay you you see what I'm saying oh yeah And, uh, and, and, and so it wasn't that that person wasn't who they was but the person also knew I need to work in a certain kind of way. And so when you go back to certain things, even you talking about the real vice lords, there was a time when kids couldn't sell no drugs during school hours. It was a time kids couldn't sell drugs at all. And if you needed money, they gave you money. And if you didn't go to school, they whooped your tail and took you back to the school. But that's the community policing the community. Because I know that in Mrs. Jones' house, she's by herself and she has three boys. Okay. Because I'm in the community and I care what's going on about the community. I'm, I'm going to leave this for another show. Mm-hmm. I want to, but I, I'm, I'm at least going to raise this question with yeah. you. How does that work when the way that you title yourself is one thing mm. and your behaviors is another. Now, you don't have to answer that. Mm. I just want to... <laughs> I'm just putting my, 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 my two cents in for another conversation about what what's the evolution of that and, you know, what's the history of that. you listening to WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. We also are streaming live at WVLP.org. This is Morning Black. <laughs> Uh, Getting back to our program now. We don't got to go deep into what you said, but I get to where you're going. But once again, that, that that's going back to the point of um, just because I get this PhD and I become Dr. Hall, I cannot forget where I come from. I cannot forget the responsibility that I have to my community. I cannot because I'm going to make a transition and I get a certain title and I work at a certain institution that I lose the identity of who I am. There's so many times that it's hard for us to come back to our communities because along the way of trying to make it to where we make it to, uh-huh. our blackness have been stripped from us. And we allow people to treat us in such a way that we're being participatory, going back to Byron Martin, he loves to say that, being participatory in our own oppression. And so I, I need to be understanding of that and how much can I be in it but not of it in such a way that I understand what I'm bringing to the table. Also in an understanding of 
I know the role that I'm playing. I need to take some more ownership on my shoulder to say that I have a role in this and in, in, in for the young black brothers that's coming up under me. And, and going back to education and family structure, understanding how I'm oppressed as a black man, the actions that I do, if I get a platform like I have now and I don't do it appropriately, it only hurts the other black males coming behind me. So I have a duty and a responsibility because the value that I add to that organization only allow other black people that look like me to get more opportunity. Okay, no, 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 no. I'm going to push you back on this a little. I want you to think about what I'm getting ready to ask you now. Okay. okay. What's going to stop this system, this hegemonic system that's so intricate, so sophisticated from isolating you mm-hmm. and cording you off from your aspiration? What's going what's going to what's going to inhibit them from tying your hands? like they have done to tens of thousands of black professionals. Because, and and let me tell you why I'm asking that question, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I hear it all the time Mm -hmm. where people say, well, you know, I'm going to get this degree yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to the community, and uh, I'm, we're gonna work some stuff out. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I agree that you know all the time we don't necessarily the community don't necessarily need that. They need folks to help them move from the teaching to the education process. Mm-hmm. But whatever the strategy is, you know, people want to do well and come back mm-hmm. and and maybe help out. Mm-hmm. What makes your trajectory mm-hmm. in terms of your career mm-hmm. different from the thousands of others African Americans mm-hmm. who have tried that mm-hmm. or who th- began that thought at the beginning of their ascent mm-hmm. and then find themselves in white suburbia mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, behind the gated fence mm-hmm. you know what what um, because, because that's the issue I mean you know and the, mm-hmm. the, the and I'll just say this real quick and I'll let you respond mm-hmm. um, that exactly is what mm-hmm. you know when you go to Chicago mm-hmm. and you go to the Chatham area mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and I don't know what it was for I'm not sure what it, the, the, the neighborhood was for the for west side but mm-hmm. for the south side mm-hmm. it was Chatham and Evelyn Park and some of these other areas it would just been Oak Park we would have crossed over right Oak Park. right Right, we, right. We went more north, and it was this. It was, it was a clear boundary. Yeah. It was a clear boundary. Lincoln Park. That if would if, if you made it to Oak Park, if you made it to Avalon Park and bought a house, if you made it to mm-hmm. Chatham and bought a house, mm-hmm. you made it to High Park. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. If you made it to High Park, you bought you bought a house, and you're among white people too. Mm-hmm. And there's a university community. I mean, you know, so mm-hmm. you know, people thought they had reached Nirvana mm-hmm. when they, <laughs> when it, you know, yeah. or or if you could live downtown, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What all of that. That um, alluring kind of attitude mm-hmm. um, kind of castrates, mm-hmm. you know, the aspiration of coming back into community and doing some of these things. What? How are you going to avoid that? Uh, I think it castrates you, and I think that happens if you allow it to happen. Uh, along this process, uh, the people that I've been close with are still close to and accept me for who I am, but I was never a chameleon. I was always Zebediah. I was always who I was. As my mom liked to tell, she always say, I'm still a goofy little son that she always know uh, throughout this process. But uh, I still right now go to Little Folly Park. I still hang out and go to the same places. I might do it in a different fashion, but I mm-hmm. still interact with the people that I interact with. Mm-hmm. Some of the guys that I grew up with are not on the same trajectory as I am. 
Oh, yeah. That doesn't make me any better than them. And so I can't allow myself to receive a degree. I can't allow myself to receive a position and then become better than anybody that I came alongside with all along. And so when you're talking about people being those spaces, what I was pushed back is I need that only black person to be in Oak Park. I just need them to remember that they're black and they're still in Oak Park. And even though they are black in Oak Park, some of the policies and the work that they do around Oak Park could come back and help that community. And so the problem and the reason that we hate sometimes that that black person made it to that suburban suburb behind the gate, because behind the gate, they act like they're not black. If they were still being black behind the gate, still being connected to their culture behind the gate, still fighting for the same things that they were always once fighting for, being behind the gate doesn't necessarily harm them or hurt them. Now, what I will say to this, if I am standing behind that gate, that's a choice that I made and coming back to help my community because I chose to stand behind this gate, the punches and the blows and the black eye and the bloody nose I receive because I'm not necessarily standing foot where they at. I have to be okay receiving that and still putting in the same work that I'm putting in. I can't be such an individual that I stand behind this gated community now that I now become a glass black person that a little stone that somebody looks like me throw at me, which they should throw at me because they need to know that I'm not glass because I chose to stand behind this gated community is the conversation that needs to be had. Okay, but but see, 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 that's how. Sounds good. That sounds good. But the reality is, um, people, and this is what I want you to kind of think about, because I, I agree with that. First of all, you spot on with that. Um, my, my question is basically, um, why do people feel that it's okay? for that person to stand behind the glass, I mean, the the gated community, Mm -hmm. oftentimes when they're invited in to the gated community, Mm -hmm. they're politically neutered. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. they are are made politically neutral Mm -hmm. and and essentially they fade in. They, Mm -hmm. you know, in other words, they, you know, and we see it here in Valpo. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we see, you know, there's a lot of black professionals here in in Valpo. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, there's almost this obsession not to be distinguished mm-hmm. from the mass population. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that, I mean, you know, like you say, the, the African-American community is not monolithic. Yeah. But at the same time, there ought be some aspiration mm-hmm. that you have mm-hmm. for communities of color over and beyond your own, uh, uh, um, um, you know, um, I guess, Immersion in terms of mainstream culture. And, 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 and to your point, see, th- this is for me going back to the education. Sure. And the family structure. Sure, sure. Because their value added to that individual that you described mm-hmm. is the less I decrease in the, the further I'm away from my blackness, the more I emerge as an individual. That's, that's the, that's the it, it, Fanon so, and, and, and but Carter pro- G. Woodson. But the problem with that. I can ascend as one black person. Uh-huh. I can only ascend so far before I get into a room and they remind me you still a black boy. So you know that's going to happen. So 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 no, so, no matter where you go, so you know that's going to happen. I, right? I believe at some point in time.
time because systematically in the way that structure are, I think you will be reminded of who you are. The problem with that and the difference with me is I will never stop fighting for my community. And so my value add understand that if we as a black people as a whole are not uplifted altogether, no matter who ascends out of the group, you can only ascend so far. And so if you don't ascend to a place where not only one of two of us are making it and more of us are making it, and sometimes they're sitting around the boardroom and the majority is black folks. Mm-hmm then we're never going to get to a place where even me emerging as an individual will make it. Even sometimes when you hear LeBron James talk, I'm a millionaire, I'm the king, I'm this, that, and the third, but there are times in my life I still have to be reminded that I'm still just a Negro. Okay, so, 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 but here's, here's, here's a problematic that I think that has to be dealt with. I'm mm. not, you know, I'm not saying that this is anybody that I know, but how do I know that you ain't Uncle Tom and Jeffin if you in the boardroom by yourself? Uh, and 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 that's a great question. The, the, the best thing I can tell you, the best thing I can tell you is by my actions and my mannerisms. The results, the, n- not just the results, my everyday action and mannerisms. Because the people that I'm sitting on the board with, because they walk past, I don't act like I don't know Dr. Jones now. When that person walked by, and and we keep it in context, if the president don't walk by and I'm in conversation with you, and 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 I act like I see his scent, you know, in a cartoon where you can see a person's scent, mm. and I just start following the president's scent. Right. 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 You gonna know by my action and mannerisms that I'm not an Uncle Tommy. You saying day to day, day to day, but, but also res- results. Day to day results, but you're gonna find me in meetings fighting battles. Right. I can tell you this. Me and Byron are really close. We didn't just wake up close. I saw his day to day and his results, his mannerisms and showing results. And I was like, okay, I can work with that. He saw the same thing on my end. It wasn't like because me and Byron just saw each other. We in this predominantly white space. We just gave each other a head nod and it was like, okay, that's going to be my best bro up here. Uh No, I saw him putting in work. He saw me putting in real work in meetings now, in real meetings with things on the line that jeopardize. And I said, okay, he's still fighting for his people. Okay, he's still fighting for my people. Let me go a step further. It didn't stop with me and Byron only fighting for black issues, right? I understand my oppression so much that if I'm not fighting for other people that are being oppressed, I don't truly understand my oppression. Mm. And so we don't get to a point to start to educate people about truly their oppression, even in the black community. If I understand my oppression as a black man, I need to then somewhat understand how a black woman is being oppressed because what I need and what she need is different Mm -hmm. because it's not monolithic. And that is the problem where we face, we're trying to do monolithic, one-size-fit-all solutions for the black community, right? But they don't. But but, but they don't. The people in the street, the resources that they need to stop selling drugs and transition to a better life is not the the, the, the results and the things that the people that work nine to five that are just getting paid minimum wage. Those are different resources. But see, but see, see, see. But if I'm, you know, let me let me say it this way. When I when I was in the street, mm. I my perception was, and it still lingers with me, mm. is that ultimately the oppression of people of color is the same oppression. It's the same stressors we enact different behaviors to deal with the stressors and need different solutions. Mm -hmm. But when I look away from the condition that I find myself in, it's the same folks doing the same stuff. It's the same issues 
that are stemming out of the same narrative and, and, that's and, oppressing me. And, and, and to your point, and for our listening audience, right, you, you want to talk about a way that we can help the fact that black people are being oppressed and empower our damn white women. Because they stand alongside white men a lot and participate in helping not only themselves, but also helping others be oppressed, right? Think about it. When you talk about understanding my oppression as a black man, and I look across the way at oppression at other people, there's some similarities. The person that's doing the oppression tend to look the same. When I look at them third world countries, the oppression that they are facing and the reason they haven't liberated themselves out of that oppression tends to be the same people that look the same that are oppressing those people. But sometimes I'm so caught up on everything that happened on the west side of Chicago that I don't realize that there's people in Afghanistan being oppressed. And so if I can start to really understand how I'm getting oppressed and look at oppression for what oppression is, I will then stop oppressing my little sister or my little brother. I will then stop oppressing my wife or my spouse, mm. right? That, that's how deep this is. If I truly understand my oppression, I'll give you a prime example. We're, we're getting married and we're getting rings. I bought Leslie's ring, right? And one of the things that Leslie said uh, was, I'm going to get your ring. And I didn't think, I thought I was going to pick out my own ring. She was like, I thought you was an equitable person. I couldn't fight that battle. And, and, and let me be clear, because people understand that Leslie's white and things like that. I'm not just saying uplift white women because white women are closer to white men. I'm saying you need to uplift white women just because they're closer to white well, men. Not but they just need white to up, women now. We're, not, talking, not, not, we're, that's we're talking about all oppressed communities. Correct. The, the that's disabled. And, and, the and so, the, the and so, gay, lesbian, transgender, and bisexual community. It, all, the all environment. God forbid. I mean, you know, we need, there's a there's oppression going on everywhere. But, but, but we're keeping it in the context of right here. So right when, here. The re, when, when I say stop oppressing white women, then what's going to stop oppressing black women is black men. That's true. Black men are going to stop the oppression of black women by stepping up to the plate. I need to make that clear, right? What's going to stop the oppression of white women? It's going to be white men. What's going to stop the oppression of black women? It's going to be black men. What's going to stop the oppression of the LGBT community? It stops showing the oppression of the underrepresented groups that are already out there because it's already connectivity to them. Because you still might identify with some of those identities already. You want to go deeper? Stop oppressing people with disabilities and start giving them access. And then you'll see the same ways that we're not giving people with disabilities, the same way that we didn't give people with access that were slaves, the same way we didn't give women access, the same way we didn't give other people of color access, in same ways we gave poor Europeans that came to this country and didn't allow them to take tests in their language so we can call them stupid and dumb. If we stop oppressing people as a whole, starting with our community first, we can kill oppression as a whole. And you've heard it here at Morning Black. Until next time, folks. Have a great Saturday.